it's up to you and me to shine a guiding light and lead the way. United by our cause, we have the power to pursue what we believe. We'll achieve the realization of our dreams. Hello, welcome to this episode of New Horizons. I'm Vaughan Benison. Thanks once again for joining us. This week we focus on identity, specifically proof of identity. This has been a very touchy subject for some time now in the blind and vision impaired community because of the inherent difficulty in proving one's ID when signing up for telecommunications accounts, utilities, mortgages and other style legal accounts and services. We speak this week with policy and advocacy team leader of Blind Citizens Australia, Jane Britt. Jane, thanks once again for joining us on the program. Thank you for having me. Identification for people with a disability has proved a thorny subject for some considerable time. In fact, the Tasmania branch of Blind Citizens Australia had a meeting uh, a few weeks ago, and one of the key topics that came up was identification, and I'm sure this is the case all over the country. You're doing some work in this area, and I know that many other organisations have been either working with you or following the similar sorts of paths. Tell us about what the problems are that uh, blind and vision impaired people are facing when it comes to ID. Yeah, sure. Firstly, obtaining the right identification. And then also once uh, getting through an identification process, it's a difficulty of not having the right identification, having to go through the processes to get it. Or the other difficulty is when doing it online, that it is completely inaccessible when using a screen reader or even having to uh, navigate a system that relies on a visual input. We all know that typically there are documents that uh, one can use to prove ID uh, and get 100 points and things like that. Why is this more of a problem now than it was some time back? Yeah, so uh, one of the things that's exacerbated this has been the pandemic, which has pushed uh, you know things more in the direction of digital identity checking. Uh, so, for example, one of the things that we've seen emerge in the last couple of years has been where identification is done by video. So you might be holding up a passport, for example, open to your photo page, but then at the uh, camera on the computer or you know webcam needs to be used to. Uh, show your face and move in different directions for your face to be scanned to map against uh, what is being shown on the passport. This is uh, almost impossible if you're blind or vision impaired because it relies on uh, any amount of residual vision that you might have to be able to line yourself up the camera as well as uh, moving around in space to capture the various angles that are being asked for by the uh, whatever program is being used to uh, you know, establish the identification check. And of course that sets aside the uh, the concept of the video identification app being used, being accessible, which frequently they're not. But let's talk about what constitutes proof of ID. And it's certainly something that's uh, been increasingly a uh, complex matter. So with identification checks, it's becoming a much more uh, complex system, often requiring a lot more forms of identification. 
Uh, so what, what we have been seeing is that, uh, firstly, if, if you don't have access to a passport, it might be cost prohibitive. It's very expensive to get a passport. So, you know, for a lot of people, that might be uh, something which is below the, uh, you know, economic threshold of what they can actually afford to be able to get identification for. But the other major issue that we've been seeing is increasingly that the driver's license is being asked for. And the driver's license, obviously, if you are someone who's blind or vision impaired, you perhaps do not have this form of identification. But then when you have to make up a certain amount of points or a certain amount of type, different types of identification, it often requires a lot more types of uh, and variety of identification to make up for not having that particular um, type of ident identification. Um, some in some places it's bridged by having either the proof of age or proof of identity card which a lot of states and territories uh, enable people to be able to get uh, but again you know that that is entirely reliant on having access to you know other forms of identification to ID yourself to get that identification. Uh, we had a recent advocacy case where a person didn't have Medicare, didn't have, uh, you know, a disability support pension or a Centrelink card, didn't have, you know, credit cards. And actually the levels of verification that were needed were extremely difficult for this person because they had a very limited choice of identification available to them. That is an extreme circumstance. But what we are seeing increasingly is that um, there's a lot of difficulty when people are trying to access financial products and services and you know other systems where they have to verify themselves um, that it's either inaccessible because it's a digital thing or because they don't have the identification that's needed. In other countries, New Zealand, for example, they have uh, government-related ID systems. In New Zealand, it's called RealMe, and once you've um, appropriately identified yourself, you can log into the system and it will use uh, multi-factor authentication uh, and secret questions and answers to prove that you are the person that you say you are, and that is registered as a valid form of ID. The Australian government was working on the Trusted Digital Identity Framework. That work seems to have stalled. Any idea why and where it's going? Yeah, I don't actually know why it's stored. It's certainly been something that was on the table and there was a very robust discussion happening around it um, and there was movement towards it and then it just completely stalled. I don't know exactly where that is up to, but it's certainly something which would help uh, mitigate some of the issues that we have been seeing in terms of advocacy on behalf of our, of our members. Blind Citizens Australia used to have the BCA identity card, which was uh, accepted almost everywhere as a valid form of ID in place of a driver's licence, where a driver's licence wasn't possible. And it was done in conjunction, I understand, with the federal government, uh, and BCA was the arbiter of um, providing the proof that the individual requesting the card was blind or vision impaired. That hasn't been around for some time. Any thoughts of reviving it? I certainly think it'd be something that uh, could be canvassed and be on the table. I'd certainly be quite willing to engage in a dialogue. Um, I know, or BCA would certainly would be willing to engage in a dialogue with the federal government around a movement in that direction. It would help, some, uh, you know, uh, take away some of the issues that are being seen at the moment around, you know, actually having enough identification to prove your identity. What can people do? 
I think that what people can do really is speak up to their local members and tell them about the issues they're experiencing. If it's something like telecommunications, going to telecommunications ombudsman and talking to them about the issues that they're experiencing, going back to companies and, and it, you know explaining about some of the accessibility issues that they might be seeing with identification. But always BCA is quite welcoming of all feedback that anyone has about experience they've had. Um, we are quite happy to be contacted by email at bca at bca.org.au or by phone on 1-800-033-660. And we welcome any uh, level of feedback you have, whether it be a positive experience that you've had around getting identification or proving your identification or whether you've had uh, something which um, could, could use some improvement. BCA is looking for more information in this area and is running a project in this area. Tell us about that. Yes, we are at the moment. So we are currently uh, getting feedback from the members about their experiences with identification, but it's particularly feeding into a couple of different streams. So one of those is that we are creating a position statement around this, um, laying out some of the issues that have been experienced, as well as some of the recommendations that we can make to federal and state and territory governments, and also to organisations that oversee um, different forms of identification and identity checks. Uh, we are also working with the Australian Banking Association's uh, Consumer Outcomes Group. We are working with them around um, what it looks like to be trying to get identification when you are going for financial products or services. Something that came out of our recent work um, in establishing a report around people's experiences with um, banking services and financial products is that um, identification was something which came up repeatedly as being an issue, whether it be going face-to-face -to, -face to a branch or whether it be uh, having to jump through these hurdles with the online checks. In fact, that online identity check is something that has really created Created quite a um, systemic issue over the last couple of years with the pandemic because the move has been in that direction. Uh, so at the moment we are welcoming all feedback and we will be taking that forward both to create that position statement but also behind that to work out where we go forward in advocacy into various bodies. We'll be going back to the Australian Banking Association with the feedback that we get as well as into other uh, telecommunications uh, groups and other organisations that work in this area to provide them with this feedback and make recommendations. I want to touch on identity from a slightly different perspective, and that is the proof of identity for people who come to your house. And uh, as an example, telecommunications technicians setting up NBN, but it could equally be builders or uh, carpenters or tilers or anything like that who's coming into your house. If you can't see their uniform and you can't read their ID, what can you do or what can people do to make sure that the person who's coming to their door is who they say they are? One thing that does come to mind in this circumstance is something which uh, I heard a discussion about recently in a forum about uh, some of the coercive control measures and about how to ensure that someone is not um, negotiating with someone who is potentially a source of abuse or neglect or exploitation of someone with disability. And in this circumstance, what they uh, were advocating for, which I thought was a really good recommendation, was to have a code word or a, a, a word that that tradesperson or that uh, company has so that when you uh, deal with them they have to get that code word from you 
for you to be able to, uh, you know, establish a link to them so that they know, you know who they are. They have verified themselves through something which if they were someone that was nefarious, that was not someone who they should be uh, showing up and pretending to be a tradesperson, for example, they should not have that information. Um, and if they can't verify that code, then that's where you can go back to the company and say, um, I have this check on my account as a safety measure this is not uh hasn't been verified correctly can you please um you know check whether the person is coming out to my place at this time because i've just had this incident occur it sounds all very cloak and dagger doesn't it but that sounds like a really sensible approach another approach that uh, i remember speaking to a police officer about when i was very young because this occurred to me when i was um probably about 10 how would I know if a police officer came to my front door? And in fact, this did happen one night um, at 10 o'clock at night. A police officer came and knocked on my door and was looking for my father. And I said, well, you can't prove to me that you're a police officer. So go away and come back when you can. And I then spoke with that police officer later. And he told me that what you can do is contact the local police force. And in, in the case of anyone, it could be your local company or whatever. And you can have somebody get on the radio to that person and you should be able to hear the other end of their radio conversation. And that will, uh, that will work to confirm that they are who they say they are as well. So that can be another useful tip. Yeah, I think that's something which is certainly always worth uh, checking. In the case of uh, if you feel like something is not quite right or that, you know, you potentially are at, at risk, um, always checking and verifying in with the source of, you know, uh, an official source. Jane, thanks for being a part of the program and uh, good luck with receiving that feedback. Do you have an end date for that or is this an ongoing situation? This is an ongoing situation. We certainly will be uh, developing the position statement over the next few weeks, but we always welcome feedback. Uh, if people could certainly get get to us within the next couple of weeks, if you do have feedback, we'd be quite uh, welcoming of hearing it. Jane Britt there. If you'd like to provide feedback to BCA on the identity, you can contact them on 1800 033 660. That number again is 1800 033 660. You can email bca at bca.org.au or you can look at the website bca.org.au. BCA Connect is coming up if you'd like to get together. There's an interesting program of events happening across the day on Saturday the 17th of September. We'll hear more about that in next week's program. In the meantime, I'm Vaughan Benison. Do take care. I'll talk to you again next week. We'll achieve the realisation of a dream.